Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and science, science. can just peacefully. This was their finest. Hey guys, welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. And I'm Sean. Guys, I'm having a hard time remembering, but I feel like maybe we did an episode on Alzheimer's. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's great. That's like have all, that's my method. That's very good. That's very good. You've been practicing your method acting. See, this is for Stacy to know that she needs to edit that out. Uh, I'm Nathan. And I'm Sean. Guys, welcome to Petri Dish. <laughs> that's Nate Sean from Petri Dish. We're, we're didn't, just fully didn't restarting. Huh? <laughs> just. Okay, guys, so maybe you remember, but uh, somewhere between a year and years ago, we did, <laughs> we did an episode series on Alzheimer's. For you guys who don't know, that's a disease. And, uh, you know, it's bad for the brain. Wow, you are fucking crushing it so far. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you are like half a beer deep. <laughs> well, <laughs> <This is> already... <laughs> uh, but uh, Alzheimer's, you know, we had talked, I mean, it was a multi-part series because it's a big subject. Yep. And we talked about one of the, I mean, I, I guess the most prevalent theory of uh, what causes Alzheimer's, amyloid beta theory. Yeah, yeah, the the amyloid beta hypothesis. And so if you guys want to, you can go back to episodes 104 through 106, Ooh. and you can learn so much about Alzheimer's. Yeah. You can learn about the Frenchman who first spotted these little dots in the brains of people who had had this issue. Yeah. And, you know, we really kind of dig into it. We're not going to get into a lot of the details here, just enough to cover... Basically, the scientific foundation of the massive fraud that has been yeah, guys. <laughs> kind of put on display uh, and like now kind of aired this huge amount of yeah. scientific misconduct. Yeah, that's the context of this episode, guys. Is, uh, is uh, Okay, so about a month ago, a science paper came out asserting that, an, uh, I guess seminal is not entirely fair, but a very important paper from 2006, maybe seminal paper, widely yeah. cited paper, yeah. that supports amyloid beta theory, was deeply fraudulent. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that the author has made many fraudulent papers since. Yes, yes. And so, basically, this episode, we're going to get into what the context of this fraud is. Yeah sort of what the nature of the fraud was and what the impact of the fraud yeah. was. So that people out there can know, you know, hey, this apparently is something that happens in science every once in a while. Is right. You have people who just like fucking wholesale lie about the science that they've done. Yeah, well, I mean, so to bury the lead, I think we buried the lead a little bit on this one. <laughs> this episode is about the biggest fraud in neuroscience, in neuroscientific history, right? And, and maybe... A fraud of such scale that it's uh, directly slash indirectly cost billions of dollars, wasted almost two decades of time, and has misled the tens of thousands, millions, millions of people, not uh, <laughs> of clinical patients, right? Yes, yes. This is a pretty big deal. I'm going to call this a medium big deal. Yeah, because um, we buried the lead so bad, we probably need to have like all caps 
like episode title. Yeah. It's like fraud, fraud, fraud. <laughs> I'll do that. I'll we, do that. We really whipped this. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just so I, yeah. To be clear, Alzheimer's fraud. That's this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's get into the details. And their reproductive ability crisis. In, oh. Among scientists. Sure. Too many plastics. The, the <laughs> okay, anyway, let's take a break. That's great. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Beavis and Butthead again, uh-huh. and I kind of feel like we're like the Beavis and Butthead of science. Okay, which one's the Butthead? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Butthead's the better one, right? And the Beavis is the... the I need TV for my bungalow! Yes, right? yes. Okay, I, well, the I'm the Beavis. <laughs> <laughs> You're more urbane. <laughs> literally. There, there we go. Have. Yes, that's exactly what I think of when I think of Butthead, is <laughs> yeah, urbane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, relatively. <laughs> um, okay. So... To get into the nature of this fraud, we need to lay a little bit of scientific groundwork. This is largely rehashing things we did talk about in those episodes. Right, Okay. So uh, if you listened to those episodes, some of this is going to sound very familiar. Yeah. But this whole thing centers around the primary theory of what causes Alzheimer's disease. Right. Which is that there is a peptide, a string of amino acids called amyloid beta, and that this amyloid beta is the major component of microscopic but still like noticeable clumps of shit in and around the neurons yeah. in the brains of people that die with Alzheimer's. So like Sexy. if somebody dies and they had Alzheimer's and you were to cut open their brain and look at the neurons under a microscope, you see this like these clumps of shit. And generally, seeing clumps of shit doesn't seem very good. Yeah. You know? The brain there's like gray shit. That's like the only thing that's supposed to be in a brain, right? <laughs> yeah, some yeah. gray shit, some white shit. Yeah, this not is like clumps clumpy of shit, shit right? <laughs> yeah. So having clumps of shit around seems bad. And so yeah. it was thought. And remind me, how far back does this discovery go about early nineteen hundreds? Oh, Alzheimer's in general. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so yeah. so that was the thing is that the very origin of Alzheimer's right. begins with the noticing of these clumps. Right. So that's and these one are the am- amyloid. Yes. Yes. And those are clumps. They're called plaques of amyloid beta. So this is the bottom original sin. Kind of. Right. 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 Kind of. This paper comes from the rib of Adam. Right. Okay. Let's keep going. <laughs> obtuse. <laughs> so something to point out now is that there are people who die who never have any Alzheimer's symptoms. Right. But if you look at their brains, you will see plaques in them. Okay. So that's problematic fact number one. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. So that is an inconvenient truth that right. has a tendency to make it so that this hypothesis seems stupid, but right. whatever. So when we frame it like that, it sounds unreasonable. But it's like how like sometimes people die of, of spontaneous combustion and you don't see the flames. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Because right? they just burn up. <laughs> And you could say it didn't happen because you didn't see it. <laughs> and, yes, because you didn't see it and because it did not actually happen. Yeah, I agree that you could say that. Maybe Emily Platt theory is stupid. Well, so, so, okay, so. Let's keep going. Also, so, another yeah. issue yeah. is that if you have Alzheimer's disease, sometimes it can be more severe or less severe. Right. That does not relate to how big or how many plaques you have. Interesting. So plaque size and amount does not correlate with severity of symptoms okay nor does it correlate with having alzheimer's disease or not having alzheimer's disease right right so it doesn't sound so good right just based off of that information so given all that how has amyloid uh, plaque theory survived for so long right so there's basically one very very solid piece of evidence that suggests that it's related mm-hmm. and that's in the process of making amyloid beta 
there's a protein that gets used, an enzyme called gamma secretase. Okay. And when people have a mutation in that, and they have something called like hereditary early onset Alzheimer's, yeah, that is directly related to amyloid beta getting fucked up. All right. Basically. So there's this very clear genetic human evidence that that pathway is related to early Alzheimer's. But people who get regular style Alzheimer's, we want there to be the connection between the genetic early onset and the regular one because the symptoms are very similar and their brains are kind of similar. But the issue is we just don't see it. You know what I mean? Like this other evidence makes it feel like this hypothesis is pretty weak. Okay. Okay, so for a hundred years, we've been noticing amyloid plaque buildup. Yes. We've developed a theory that it matters. Yes. And the theory is problematic. Right. And so what, one of the things that was happening at the time of the fraud, okay, which was in 2006, this paper right. came out. So leading up to that, a lot of the objections that we're pointing out here right. were kind of coming to the fore. Within the neuroscience community. Yeah. In the neuroscience community, they were basically like, okay, there are these conflicting pieces of evidence about the plaque part of it. Right. Okay. And so at the time, right around 2006, 2004 to 2006, there was this idea that like, okay, maybe the plaque part doesn't matter. Right. And that's why we're seeing this conflicting evidence that we mentioned. What are the stakes to this debate? Well, it's difficult to cure an illness if you don't have any idea what causes it. Right. So one of the stakes is just knowing how Alzheimer's is caused. Yeah. 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 A fundamental root understanding of Alzheimer's would help inform right. a multi-billion dollar industry right. to so, try to treat and cure Alzheimer's. Right, that kind of alludes to the second stake, right? right? Which is like, you know, first of all, knowing whether plaque matters or not, like helps us figure out where Alzheimer's comes from. Yeah. And then the second stake is that like, based on that information, we design drugs and tests and spiraling out of there is money and time and patience and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Entire people's lives yeah. and quality of life. Yeah. Okay, so 2006, there's uh, discontent brewing in the neuroscience community. We are debating the importance of amyloid plaque. Yeah, and specifically the plaque part, because there's a lot of people who, because of the genetic early onset Alzheimer's sort of data, really want to say amyloid beta must have something to do with it. But not because of its plaque buildup. Right, and that maybe plaque buildup is actually more like a symptom of amyloid beta trying to do something good, like it's a defensive thing, and that there's actually a different thing that's toxic. So it was sort of a nascent idea, but the idea was that amyloid beta is a peptide that can form a lot of different structures. And so plaques are one of these kind of like gummed up structures, just like heaps of shit, basically. Yeah. But it can also form these sort of like long rods of amyloid beta. Right. Things called oligomers. Okay. And so there was an idea at the time, okay, maybe oligomers are the things that are toxic. The thing about oligomers is unlike plaques, you cannot see oligomers under a microscope. Wow. So they're just like invisible. It'd be like, oh, yeah, well, amyloid strings, beta... Strings make, determine <laughs> physics. That that That's some invisible thing made up of amyloid beta. Yeah. That invisible thing is the thing that's hurting our neurons. So I'm sure this is going to be a jackass question, but if, if they're invisible, how do you... How do we know oligomers exist? I mean, right. I mean, like... Right, so invisible under a microscope. Right. But... They're not invisible to the human eye. They're so big that they block the whole microscope. Be like, it's black. <laughs> <No, laughs> They're like it's a like, big worm. <laughs> so we have ways of being able to detect things that are not really mm. uh, discernible right, like through scrying. microscopy. 
and scrying and doing, you know, you cut the bird <laughs> and like the tea leaves pour out and you're oh. like, oh, there must be a ligamers. Well, that's a that's a mix of several different things, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mix them all together. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. And you like, you take the bird bones and you throw them on the fire and the yeah, way that I they crack. Yeah, I got this pan-Hellenistic Chinese Ooh. medicine place up in Western. <laughs> Actually, I think, I think <laughs> that would be enormously successful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Dr. Yergos, uh, the, the, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I couldn't think of nothing. <laughs> all right, all right. Oh, Let's keep going. Okay, so not discernible in the ways that plaque are discernible, which yeah. is to say under a light microscope, but oligomers could potentially be detectable using X-ray crystallography, maybe, all if right. they form stable crystals. Maybe electron microscopy, if you had a way of staining them properly. And then you could maybe detect the actual peptides that make up these oligomers. Right. Maybe. So there's a lot of potential ways you could try to, but to be honest, probably the reason why it wasn't the first theory is because it is definitely harder to find than these big fucking plaques, right? Hmm. So maybe, maybe that's the reason why. And basically, this paper came out in 2006, and the paper said that there are some of these mice, and these mice are genetically engineered to develop Alzheimer's. All right. And when they looked in the brains of these mice and did these special procedures to try to get the amyloid beta out, they found some very specific subtypes of amyloid beta. Okay. One specifically called star 56. Ooh. And the star 56 was like this very specific form that could form these oligomers. Okay. So not plaques, but oligomers. All right. And if they took these oligomers and they shoved them in the rat brains, these oligomers would make those rats develop Alzheimer's. All so right. So it's like a... It felt like a direct causal link okay. between the existence of these oligomers and neuronal damage. Okay, so just to be sure, I'm on the same page. So this paper is like, plaque doesn't matter. The oligomers matter. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, smoking gun. Yeah. Like, just but to be it turns clear. out the cops planted the gun. <laughs> well, so that's like as smoking a gun as it can get. Like right. that, That's like a beautiful result in a paper is like, not only did we... See these mice, right. they got sick, we looked in there, we found this thing. But that's not causal enough, right? A right. causal experiment is you then take that thing, give it to healthy stuff, and then watch them get the disease. Right. That's like, that's so straightforward and such a beautiful experiment. Yeah. It like, it just like slammed out there. People loved that shit. Yeah, I mean, this is like if you took, you took a, you, you took a gun, right, and you killed somebody and you didn't know what killed him. And you Always. took the bullet out of his body and shot into another guy and killed him, you'd be like, well, the bullet. The bullets, the, the bullet thing. causes the death. We've learned a lot this episode yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. Already, yeah. this is maybe the most informative that we've ever been. That's where the expression "smoking gun" comes from. <laughs> oh, because <Right? laughs> the gun. Yeah, <laughs> it smokes. Yeah, it smokes cigarettes. It it's because the bad guy smokes yeah. the cigarette when sense. he shoots that, the that gun. Makes, that makes a lot of sense. Right. All We're right. Making a lot of sense. All okay. Right. All so, right. beautiful experiment. Yeah. Really huge paper. It gets published in a journal called Nature. It's a big deal. It's like the biggest deal. Uh, yeah, it's top three in terms of biology. Along with Science and Time Magazine. This was a different time <laughs> it's, back then. It's, it's nature, nature, Science, and Cell. Okay. Cell's close since, right? So, sometimes called CNS. Those are the three. Oh, okay. Biologists love it. Okay. Okay. CNS. Gets published. People are going wild. They love yeah. it. It's yeah. great. It breathes this like, kind of new life into amyloid beta because the mm. plaque story, it was not looking very good. Yeah. But now we got this oligomer story and there's like such this like beautiful right. evidence in mice you, and rats. You kind of compared it to me in, in private conversation to string theory. 
where like string theory will have an idea of itself for about 10 years and have a lot of cool math models and go nowhere um, and predict nothing. And then like some fucking dork ass looking dude from Argentina <laughs> will be like, well, actually, you know, I got this, I guess this eighth dimension, right? And, uh, and they'll reinvent it like kind of every 10 to 15 years and breathe new life into string theory. Sure. It, it's like this goal shifting, right? right? And so it, it was the same with Emily Bitt. It was like, well, plaques ain't the thing. What's a, a thing that's invisible to the ways we were looking before, right, but right, still right. could potentially cause it. So then it gets shifted oligomers. over to these oligomers. Where right? are we at right now, if I may ask? Uh, there is still the oligomer theory. There's still on oligomers. It is, it is still right. out there. Yeah. But unlike unlike string theory, where everyone is just dorks acting in good faith. Yes. This. Yeah. This. This. We're about to blow this wide open. Well, yeah. we didn't. Well, so, <laughs> Someone blew this wide open. Right. So the big... And basically, the only issue with this paper is that it's all bullshit and lies and completely fabricated. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take a break, (laughs) right? And then then we're going to talk about that statement. Yep. Hot. Coming in hot. (laughs) This is a paid advertisement from Fister. You want to get ripped? You want to get jacked? Download Fister. Today. I gotta. Fister, America's number one app for boxing lessons. So, guys, I want you to know the stakes. We record in England, right? So, if Sean is wrong, <laughs> he actually can be sued for libel. Yes. Slash slander. Yes, and then deported <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. to my homeland of Russia, <laughs> yeah, where Putin <laughs> will not be friendly to me. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. There's a lot of danger here. Yeah. Um, very scary. Okay, but anyway, so let's go through the biography of this a little bit. We're in 2006. What happened? Okay, so there's a lot of on-ramps onto this story, but we can begin with a lying Frenchman named Sylvain Lesny, who was hired... Is it, is it not like Sylvain Lesny or something? I don't, I don't know how to speak Is it French. actually pronounced Lesny? I don't know. <laughs> it's like... Lesny? Le, 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 sure. chauvinist. There, there's, a, there's an accent on the E. I, I don't know, it's though. Probably sh- chauvinist. It'd be funny if I was uh, <laughs> accusing you of being a chauvinist around the pronunciation of French, and I was mispronouncing chauvinist. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. so guys, to kind of go back to the introduction. In July 2022, a paper was published in Science that argued that there were really clear signs of fraud in this 2006 paper. Yes. Um, and so let's take a step back then. Let's talk about who the author is, the context of the paper, what the guy's been doing since. Sure. So uh, maybe as a little bit of extra information, in scientific papers, there's usually somebody called the first author. And the first author is typically the person who did the most experiments and conceptualization and is often the person responsible for putting the manuscript together. Right. And uh, at least in most of the Western tradition, the last author is the professor that the first author was working for. Okay. Okay, so the first author on this paper was a lying Frenchman named Sylvain Lesnay. Lesnay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to say his name. Something. He's French. And that guy was hired as a postdoctoral scholar by a professor named Karen Ash. So Karen Ash would have been the last author on that paper, whereas this Sylvain was the first author. Right. So, Karen Ash was over at the University of Minnesota and had been doing work on a lot of different kinds of neurological aggregation yeah. brain stuff. And, and so, she, she was kind of a rising hotshot, right? She's in her 40s at this point. She's got her own lab now. She's a professor um, at the, the sparkling Golden University of Minnesota. Sure. And, and she's kind of a big deal. 
Yeah, because uh, in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, she had She got been... into mergers and acquisitions. <laughs> she, she was doing work on prions. Right. And prions the... are really sexy, right? Mad cow disease. Yeah. Oh. They're a really interesting way of having an infectious agent because it's just a protein that causes misfolding right. in other proteins. Right. And so that and kind of ding, ding, ding. We think about Alzheimer's with a peptide that could cause this incredible malady. Right, and so that general idea of aggregation causing these issues, right. that's where she was coming out of with her prion work. So, she had already been doing a lot of work out okay. of her lab right. on Alzheimer's disease, right. tau, amyloid beta. All this cool um, stuff. And so, she was already, you know, making a pretty good name for herself. Right. We mentioned earlier that Nature is a really prestigious journal. She had already been published in it. She had already been published. 2004, she yeah. came out with a Nature paper. And so, she hired this guy... To help work on a right. model for Alzheimer's. Right. Lene was was graduated from some place in fucking France, from yeah. Normandie. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he was good at some lab technique or something like that, right? And yeah. Karen Ash was like, oh my God. He's, he's, he's actually quite handsome. Let me just say. He is handsome. I don't, trying, I don't not, know if she sounds like that. I'm not, I'm not trying to imply anything, but she's like, oh. <laughs> he's, Hold on. He's so fine. <laughs> anyway, anyway. What anyway. voice are you doing for her? <laughs> what is this you're doing? <laughs> He confused us back. <laughs> okay, so there's this French guy who, yep. um, in what is also probably a fraudulent graduating paper, um, you know, is good at some, like, technique, right? Some some lab technique. And Karen Ash is looking at him. She's like, oh, my God, this hot French dude is so good at science. So she hires him as a postdoc in her lab. Right, right. And uh, I guess maybe if people don't know, a postdoctoral scholar means that you have a PhD, you graduated. It's sort of a stepping stone to becoming your own professor. Okay? Right, right. Um, so you get like a stipend, right? So you, you get paid, basically. Right. Uh, it's but not a ton of money. Cheese. <laughs> it's paid in cheddar. Uh, I don't even like cheddar. He's French. <laughs> that's true. I'm, sure, I'm, sure, he, I'm sure he looked down on his pay quite yeah, often. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. She had already developed a mouse model for amyloid disease. Mm. And that was actually one of the things she was famous for, is that this mouse model, which had a certain kind of uh, genetic mutation, yeah. was one that kind of developed these dementia-like symptoms after living for a while. All right. And that's actually a very popular mouse model still. Okay, okay so, so when we say a model, I mean, that's not like an experiment at all. That's like in a computer we like, or like she like took some clay and a ghost man came behind her and they like modeled out a mouse brain. Right? <laughs> No, this is like a real-life mouse. Oh, okay. This is a strain of mouse that, that was genetically engineered to, oh, to create I human so amyloid That's beta. what model means yes, in yes, this yes. case. Yeah, what, what right. a model is... I'm glad I interrogated that. What animal models are, yeah. are an attempt to make a proxy that's easier to study for human disease. Right, rather than children. Yes. Yeah, yeah, harder yes. to study. Or prisoners, West or any Memphis of those three. other things. Right. That we... <laughs> yeah. Victims of science. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan watched a documentary recently <laughs> and just immediately decides everything's science fault. Um, okay. That's not true. She had this mouse model. Okay, yes. The mouse makes human amyloid beta and it develops dementia over time. Okay. She wanted this dude to take them brains, them mouse brains. How do other people make this mouse model? Like, how does that work, actually? So, so, well, so now that these mice exist uh, and they... Uh, yeah. Damn, does that, is that like how she makes all her bank? She's like churning out mice. So she probably will gift them to labs for the good of science. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she has a colony of these mice going, and people will write and be like, hey, can we get some of them mice? Because we want to do these kinds of experiments. And can then she'll. Can we get some? Uh, we don't have a vivarium to keep the mice at. Okay, so she has this. She, uh, Karen Ash 
has, by 2006, developed a popular mouse model for studying Alzheimer's. Right. And she wants this postdoc to come, take a look at these brains, and see what is the mechanism of the dementia that these mice are experiencing. Like, what is the human right. amyloid beta doing that's creating this dementia issue? Right. And so... In a sexy French accent. Like Ratatouille. Yes. He found... I don't know how to do a sexy French accent. He found... <laughs> yeah, that was good. He found a very specific... <laughs> yeah, that's great. You're doing amyloid it. Amyloid beta subtype. Keep going. Keep going. And this subtype was bullshit. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Well, in an accent, that's... <laughs> let's take a second. Okay. So he found a specific subtype of amyloid, and this is where we get back to our headline notion. Um, he didn't actually find anything. Probably not. Right. It's a little hard to tell because... Because it's bullshit. This guy has now... Dot very seriously underground. He is unreachable, right? Yeah. It's very clear that the data in the paper is fabricated. Right. In the sense that, like, they are photoshopped images, things moved around. There's a technique called Western blot. Right. And the Western blot images in the paper are just, like, clearly wholesale made up. Okay, okay. So, it's entirely possible that he found nothing. Right. And just made this shit up. Okay. Or it's possible he found something and it doesn't make oligomers, or who knows what, right? right. We, we don't even know where this fell apart. Right. But the point is, he said he found a specific subtype of amyloid beta, that this specific subtype makes oligomers, and that these oligomers are the cause of the dementia. That was sort of the chain of experiments and evidence that he laid out. All of that could be bullshit. Right. We don't wow. even know which element of that is fully bullshit. All right. So this guy has a goal. He writes a paper. The paper, all the figures in it are like photoshopped. They're just like totally fabricated crap. How does it pass muster? I mean, like, it's not just like he just sends that to the White House and it gets put into the stars, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like, his professor is a co-writer on it. Um, it ends up in Nature magazine. How does any of that happen? Right. So who knows about the professor? Okay. But I will say that generally speaking, when reviewing a paper, which is what happens, by the way, the process that this works is that scientists will send in a manuscript to a journal. Right. The editor of that journal, the associate editor, usually. Decides if it's worth looking at at all or not. Yeah, they'll do like a first pass. Right. But depending on the journal, they're either, you know, a little bit more permissive and will send it out, or some of them just reject a lot of stuff anyway. Does the fame of the one of the writers matter at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, so so she's already been published in the same magazine. Right. You see her name, right. you're like, oh my god. Yeah, there's a good chance that right. the science that came out of that lab you think is going to be like, oh, you know what? We just got a hit from her two years ago. Right. We think this one's going to be a hit again, right? Right. So then they send this out to reviewers. And reviewers are just other postdocs and professors in this field, mm. okay? So they send it out to four or five reviewers, and those reviewers take a look at the paper but usually when you're reading, I've, I've done peer review, usually when you're reading a paper, you're not looking for signs of fraud or data manipulation. Right. Usually what you're doing is you're looking at the data and then you're seeing does what this data is match up with what they're writing about it. Right. Because in a paper, you'll have like almost like narrative sections, right? Yeah. You'll be like, this was my hypothesis. This is what I think's going on. This is what my data suggests. Conclusion. This is why I think it all wraps together with a certain bow. Right. And you basically just see if the data works with that story they've told. Yes, yes, exactly. And so, you know, the first pass is just literally, did they say, did they report what the data seemed to say? Yeah. And then are the conclusions supported by this data? Right. Or are some of the conclusions a little flimsy? In which case, you can suggest extra experiments. You can say, you know what? 
you said this. Right. I don't think that your data fully shows that. But right. here's an experiment I can think of that would really nail that. You know, it'd be a home run if you were able to show this kind of data. Right. And then that gets sent back to the authors. And then the authors can decide what they want to do. Right. They You've can... gone through this process. Every scientist who's been published has gone through this process. Yeah, every scientist that's been published has gone through this process on the receiving reviews end. Right. And then many, many scientists have been reviewers. Right. Like I have. Right. You know what I mean? But Even I have. <laughs> I claimed to be a scientist <laughs> to see the, the, the pitfalls of the system. But like what you just, you're not really looking for fraud. Yeah. Not in the kind of way that the analyses right. to find the fraud for this particular instance right. are done. There's a basic good faith assumption, yes. which is that like, this paper, we could think it's wrong. We could think it hasn't uh, sufficiently done tests. We could think of new experiments. But our baseline assumption is that is that it, it's attempting to do science that's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they didn't make up the data. Right. There's plenty of times I've read papers where they'll do an experiment and then say a sentence. And I'll be like, that sentence doesn't match right. up with what this experiment shows. But you could imagine. In this instance, the reviewers are reading the paper and looking at the data. Yeah. And they're like, wow, the data... Uh, seems to substantiate this sentence. Right. Well, of course it does, because the data's made up. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And and one of the things we discussed real quick before moving on is that like a lot of the figures, like the way that this paper's fraud was even caught was because a lot of the Western blots and a lot of the images of that are like clearly photoshopped. Mm -hmm. But what we had discussed in private, that's not necessarily something that a reviewer would catch either. Because you get shitty low-resolution versions of photos, or sometimes you don't get photos of the figures, or something like that. Yeah, so you always get the figures, but it is true that oftentimes the version that's sent out to reviewers, it's like a lower DPI or like lower quality image. Right. And Western blots, there's no reason for lay people to know this, but Western blots look like a bunch of dark smudges right. on like a slightly blue background. Right. And like... Already, as a scientist, you need to kind of be like, look, staring at it really close right. to even see the regular evidence, right. let alone anything like fraud. Right. So this is kind of another place where we rely on our kind of good faith biases. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, this is a whole story that, I mean, everyone should read the science article because it's really fascinating. Yeah. It's in but the show notes, by the way. The guy who even figured out that this paper was fraudulent is a scientist who's basically hired as an investigator to check on whether drugs are premised on valid research, right? And so he was looking at Western blots to see if there was fraud. Yeah, so in the science paper, the the dude who's sort of the main focus of that science article, yeah, it's like a news article in science, he does some investigations like that. He was mainly focused on a drug company and yeah. not this dude's paper. Right, similar for, what was the name of the drug? I, I, I think it's Calibu, something oh, really? or other. Calibu. <laughs> Sounds like a snow boot. Yeah. yeah, but in any case, the dude, because he was seeing some issues, he was like, okay, maybe there's other issues out there in the field. Right. And so what he did was he went to a place called PubPeer. Yeah. And PubPeer is a website where other scientists can anonymously post whether they think there's some kind of issue in a paper. Right. And so actually there's other scientists that aren't really the focus in that science article. Right. They were the ones who were already saying, Hey, look at this. Years ago. Yeah. And so I think the first comment that was like, Hey, this postdoc is doing some sketchy shit, I think was in 2013. Wow. Okay, so it's been nine years. Wow. And in those instances, the people who post the pub here 
typically communicate their concerns to the journal. Mm. Journals are just very reticent to do anything about it. Right. As are departments at universities right. or anything like that because it, it ends up being a huge investigation. What I'm trying to say is that while I do think that the science news article was like great and it, it brought a lot of attention to it. Right. There's a lot of scientists out there that are trying to get attention when they see issues. Right. And then a lot of times those issues go kind of unresponded to. Right. Which maybe we'll get into in the next section when we talk about how bad it is and like what this means to sort of more systemically. Right, right, right. But I think that there's a broader issue at hand. There's some changes that are maybe going to be helpful, but there's like a lot more work science-wide right. to do about this. Okay. But so suffice it to say, we're around 2005, 2006. Guy writes a paper, goes to reviewers. Reviewers okay it because the data in the paper substantiates its claims. Yep. Um, of course it does, since it's all fabricated. <laughs> yep. um, and then, sure enough, it gets published in Nature. Now, this is one paper I think we've oftentimes put out there. One paper does not make the world in science. Right. 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 But this paper is kind of an important and seminal paper. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it basically, it really helped support and bolster this oligomer hypothesis right, right, to right. amyloid beta. In a point where amyloid beta theory needed to kind of come up with a new flavor of the month. Right. It needed to pivot to something else because yeah. the plaque portion of it was really not looking good. Right. Other elements of the cascade hypothesis were this not looking very good. This paper helped us transition to oligomers. Um, the interesting thing is that in the years since, people who are doing research on oligomers have dismissed this paper, right? Like the field has moved on from this 2006 paper. Yeah. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about sort of what was this paper's impact in the field and right. more broadly, like how bad was this situation? Okay. The following is an actual advertisement. Our sponsor for Petri Dish is a product that I literally have been using every day, Athletic Greens. So I started taking Athletic Greens because, you know, maybe if I wasn't a garbage person, then I would actually be cooking completely balanced meals and eating them for every meal of the day and taking them into work and all this stuff. But just realistically, I don't have the time or energy for that. You know, like I'll do some meal prepping and I'll cook some things. But realistically, sometimes I just eat junk food or something. And it's, it's a really good way to be able to get a bunch of vitamins and nutrients that Normally, you could get in a very well-balanced diet, but hey, let's be realistic. Is this in... like a smoothie? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Do you want me to describe that earlier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so basically, the way that Athletic Greens comes is in uh, powder form, okay? And what the powder is, is it's a powder of things like spirulina and a bunch of other greens, vegetables, essentially, right? And so it has... Over 75 different vitamins. It's kind of like taking a multivitamin pill. Right. Except because you're usually taking it in some kind of food or drink form, it's a little bit more bioavailable. You're absorbing it a little bit easier. And it kind of tastes good. Right. Vitamins are bullshit. <laughs> Except in athletic greens. No, I think just the broad point... Yeah. The broad point is that vitamins are real. Our bodies do need them, <laughs> right, right? Right, right, It's just that a lot of times people will not have a well enough balanced diet to actually get all the vitamins they need. Right. And Athletic Greens gives a good way to be able to get that. When it comes, they typically recommend sort of the base way to do it is to dissolve the powder in some water and you like shake it up in this little shaky container yeah. they give you. I thought that was pretty good, but I kind of like it mixed in with some Greek yogurt. So that's the way I've been uh, eating it. That sounds it. good. I think it's fun. Guys, let me tell you something. Uh, you know, there's two guys who talk on this pod, me and Sean. One uses Athletic Greens, Sean. I don't. And uh, 
You know, I'm not looking too hot these days. <laughs> I'm not looking too great. Look, uh, you know, I look worse than Sean. Sean has recently had a dead man's knee implanted into his knee. So, uh, so you know. That's great. And I, I think a lot of that comes down to Athletic Greens. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. Look, so one of the cool things about getting an Athletic Greens subscription now is that the subscription comes with a year supply of vitamin D, like an extra vitamin D supplement, which is important because, frankly, almost none of us get enough vitamin D in our diet. It's one of the most common issues with people is yeah. that they'll have low levels of vitamin D. And so this is a good way to get it. And, you know, it's all year round, including those winter months when we're all staying inside. Yeah. Like, well, it's or those summer months when you're still staying inside. I Maine, like computer games. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what to, <laughs> I don't yeah. know what to say about it. Yeah, dude. I'll be playing a lot of Path of Exile. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that's affordable. It's on par with having a multivitamin, right? And it's been reviewed a lot over 7,000 five-star reviews according yeah. to the ad copy. All from scientists. <laughs> so it's been peer-reviewed. Well, at the end of the day, there's nothing really wooey-woo about this product. Right. It's vitamins right. in powder form. Right. Mix it with some stuff and eat it. Right. I'm you know a skeptical I mean? guy. A lot of health stuff I think is, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm skeptical about. But this, this is sure shit. It's <laughs> I mean, just like a bunch of vitamins. It's pretty straightforward. And I guess uh, here, here's some ad copy I'm supposed to read verbatim. Well, right now, <laughs> it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Uh, that's actually true. I will say one place where vitamins play a really big role is in the functioning of your immune system. And so if you're not eating a well-balanced diet, your immune system can have some detriment to it due right. to not having enough vitamins. So, you know, it's just one scoop in a cup of water every day or with some Greek yogurt. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make that it shit easy. Is expensive, dude. Yeah, it can add up for real. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash emerging, because we're an emerging podcast. That's what they've decided. Uh, again, that is athleticgreens.com slash emerging, E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. It's kind of like... Um... How poor people call themselves lower middle class. <laughs> Emerging pot, I'll take it. <laughs> anyway, guys, go get the shit. That is, that is exactly what it's like. Go buy a blood of greens. <laughs> you are right. All right, so as you were alluding to, in the time when this paper was published, I think it was a big deal. It was right. a big deal when it was published. And so some people, undoubtedly, tried to reproduce the paper. Right. And then other people took the next logical step from the paper and tried that out. And okay? in both cases, it failed. Yes. Right. And, so, and of course, we know this now. Yes. Because it's irreproducible because it's all fine. Right. So the next step part of it is the one that's actually been published about. And what, what I mean by that is people looked in human brains right. for this special form of amyloid beta, star 56. Yeah. And when they looked for star 56, they didn't see it anywhere in any human brain. Right. Alzheimer's or not, it's just not there, okay? Right. Now, a result like that does not sink the oligomer hypothesis. Right, it sinks this one specific type of amyloid. Yeah, and there's a lot of ways scientifically, biologically, that the Linné paper could be true right. in mice and not true in humans, right. right? That reason could still hold, and so that doesn't mean... Like, that evidence by itself would not have said, oh, that other paper is fraudulent. Right. Would have just said, oh, you know what? It doesn't carry over to humans. Plenty of things don't carry over between mice and humans. Right. But 
They saw this really great effect in mice. So let's look for something similar in humans that supports this oligomer hypothesis. So the field kind of shifted in that direction when the human paper came out. Because mm. it was like, oh, you know what? In humans, it's not star 56, but there's got to be something. So now right. the whole field is over there. Right. Which is basically where a lot of it still is. There are right. still labs that are kind of searching for in the oligomer hypothesis. The golden oligomer. What they think the amyloid beta subtype is that's really the one that's the causative agent of Alzheimer's. Right. It was interesting because I was reading an Alzheimer's uh, forum that I think I sent to you that's a forum for all these dorks that do amyloid theory. Sure. And, you know, there's an article about this fraudulent paper, um, big deal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the comments were actually other researchers being like, Wow, this paper is a little embarrassing. Uh, it really doesn't impact my lab, though, because we're doing, like, star 2072. And, yeah. like, that looks yeah. like it could be important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And those people aren't, like, I would say wholesale wrong right. about it. Because... You know, and one of them could even be right. Yeah, I, it, I mean, hypothetically, yeah. right? <laughs> the oligomer hypothesis could still work. Right. Now, it has technically been sort of tested in the clinic and that failed right so and it probably doesn't work <laughs> I mean, so, we talked about this you should check out our earlier alzheimer's theories yeah uh, our yeah. episodes yeah but yeah. i mean so it's uh not not to go too far into it but there was a drug called alz 801 they did a phase one and phase two and phase three clinical trial on yeah. that drug and it failed in making alzheimer's any better yeah yeah, yeah. and the whole point think of about it, how many phases that the mcu had to succeed in a row for us to get to have mcu phase four Yes. This is like the opposite. This is, yes. This, this, yeah. it, it failed all the way through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's like if Eternals was every Marvel film and we still had Marvel movies. But ALZ801, it was specifically supposed to work on oligomers. Okay? Right. It was not a plaque-based right. treatment. It, it turns out this drug is just a drug that was on people's brains, not doing anything <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, so it, it did not help. Right. Now, to be fair, there is another phase three trial for this drug going on. Exciting. Because when they looked back at the data from the failed phase three trial they're like oh maybe some people who have like a very specific allele of a different gene called apoe those people maybe there was an effect so we're right. going to do a new trial that's only on those people who have alzheimer's disease right now if the oligomer hypothesis is true why those are the only people where this works i think is still unclear but right. whatever whatever so oligomer hypothesis is like mildly wounded but yeah. like not bleeding out and dead right the plaque-based amyloid beta hypothesis, I think, is, like, solidly dead. That's been dead for a while, though. Yes, but, I mean, to be fair, the FDA-approved drug... Right. ...targets plaques. Right. Which we just said is dead. Right. Awkward. Oh, of course, that drug does not work. And right. we said as much in our Alzheimer's episode a year ago. Right. It's a bullshit drug. Well, let me put it this way. It actually succeeds in clearing out plaque. And there's nothing to impact Alzheimer's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's almost proving. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it, it, it does, right? That's it's actually <laughs> quite useful in its own way. It's, it's almost amazing in how clear a result that is. Yeah. In the sense of like, wow, that really seriously does not matter. Um, okay, anyway. <laughs> That's good. So. Failure so, is an important form of progress. So on one hand, there are these scientists who would say, you know what? Like. It is embarrassing that this paper is fraudulent, but the field is still doing this oligomer thing. Right. But I will say, in a little bit of like what if kind of, you know, uh, historical Mar fiction, let's say. The Marvel show. Yes, a little bit of that what if. Yeah. If amyloid beta broadly sort of had to suffer the setback that it was heading toward. Right. 
I think that we would have had more funding and opportunities to be searching out for other hypotheses besides the oligomer one. Right. Unfortunately, this is kind of, I mean, not fully zero sum, but there's only so much money for research out there every year, only so many grants. And uh, for an extra 17 years, amyloid theory got to breathe life when maybe it shouldn't have been so prominent and shouldn't have gotten so much money. Right. And if you're a person who's approving a grant and one person is doing a pitch for something that's oligomer-based and the other person's doing one based off of the inflammatory hypothesis for Alzheimer's, the oligomer one can say, hey, look at this data from mice from this 2006 study. Yeah. That's a smoking gun. Right. We should really be focusing on this. You're way right. more likely to give money to that and right. give more money in that direction. Right. So, it, it, I mean, from that perspective, it's like, well, here's a lot of speculative hypotheses. Right. And then here's like a pretty solidly researched foundation. Right. Whereas without this paper, I think the oligomer hypothesis would have still happened. There would still be labs pursuing it. Yeah. But there would have been a little bit more space for that kind of speculative hypothesis where it's like, oh, amyloid beta plaque stuff really didn't work out so much. Let's really shift up gears and try some other creative hypotheses. Search them out and see right. and see how they fare. So uh, we're still in a state in Alzheimer's research where some of these other hypotheses are still kind of in their nascent period. Uh, and hopefully they'll get a little bit more breathing room to get tested out because yeah. some of them may completely fail and just be wrong. Right. But other ones might bear some fruit. So there's that level of the setback, okay? But thank goodness, at the very least, the salvageable part of this is that there was never a clinical trial with a drug trying to target star 56. Right. Because there was a relatively early paper being like, oh, it's not in humans. Yeah. Right. So thank goodness there weren't patients like literally involved in a clinical trial with a drug based wholesale off of a fraudulent paper. Right. It's just in this field, one of the pillars of the oligomer hypothesis is fraudulent. Right. Uh, but there are other pillars. And they're so, doing you know, that. water under the bridge, right? <laughs> Not a big deal. Sometimes a paper's a complete fraud. Yeah. Or it doesn't matter. Well, I think there's something in science called the reproducibility crisis. Well, it is. Um, I think we it, talked about it before. Yeah. But yeah. let's talk it's about it again. But like, basically, the reproducibility crisis... In science, you are supposed to be able to reproduce experiments, both your own and other people's. If there is such a thing as objective reality, yeah. and if science is Which a... there's not, right? There's a wave <laughs> function. Hold on, let's take it easy. <laughs> uh, if there is an objective reality, and science is supposed to be a method by which we can understand more about that reality... That's the basis. Then right. science should be reproducible. Right. That like when results come out, another group of people should be able to try that out. Right. And it should work out within some kind of probabilistic situation. Right. right? So and, and this does work for plenty of science, right? Like yeah. If I shoot you, take the same bullet, shoot me, both dead. Science has worked. Yeah. Objective I, reality of bullet. I think a lot of people can tell that we don't know very much about guns because, <laughs> because you cannot reshoot a bullet, but that's okay. That's okay. You, that's you're better. questioning the whole basis of a Chris Rock joke <laughs> from the 90s. <laughs> All right. All right. So, so, so. Excuse me. That's a $5,000 bullet. <laughs> you have my property? So, <laughs> yes. That was a very, yes, I enjoyed that. Okay, so look. So basically, you should be able to reproduce science. Some science is reproducible. Yes. Okay. And the... the Like the apple. Like you drop it. Oh. You right. like gravity. Yeah, gravity. Okay. We do that all the time. Yes. <laughs> Dropping a lot of apples. Yeah. And in fact, yeah. some elements of science are reproduced every day by like graduate students in labs reading a paper that seems to be like, oh, this paper totally 
describes a way of looking at a problem that I need to do for my experiment. Right, and then they do it, and it works. Yeah, they try it out. Maybe there's a little bit of troubleshooting to do. It's yeah. the, it's their new hands. They got to, like, practice it a little bit. Yeah. But then they Some figure it out. Some hands are too small. For science. <laughs> <laughs> you got to um, hold the... <laughs> I think it's more often that the hands are too big. Right, that's true. All and you're just, like, hands. fumbling like mouse guts or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, look. You're pretty good at that. The... <laughs> You fumble fingers good. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. You know about my fingers. Good go. Uh, <laughs> so that does happen a lot. But also, speaking as someone who is a graduate student, sometimes you'll read a paper and you're like, oh, this is exactly what I need. Right. You'll try it out and it fucking does not work. Right. But why didn't it work? Did it right. not work because maybe it's your you, first time maybe trying you it? Fucked yeah, up. yeah. Maybe I fucked up. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe they have a really specific set of conditions and materials. They have like a really nice machine. Yeah, that they didn't describe in their paper, but you could yeah, or they Could plausibly be the case. They describe a little bit, but it's too expensive for me to you have. have so I, I try a cheaper one or something, it doesn't work. Or right? maybe it's yeah. all made up anyway. Right, right, right. But like the issue with the reproducibility crisis overall is that even in good faith and even under a circumstance where no science was fraudulent, some stuff would still not be reproducible. Right. Okay. Especially because of quantum tunneling in biological systems. Well, there, right. there's also a certain probability element to this, right. which is uh, in physics, when you publish a paper or you put like kind of a discovery out there, you mentioned how many sigmas yeah. it is, and it's about how likely or unlikely it is yeah. that this result was by chance as opposed to by like, I follow reality. the five sigma business model. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in biology, we is actually- Is that actually a science joke? Uh, From 30 Rock? Is that like... Because Five Sigmas is the... No, I, I think Five Sigmas is an actual business thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Hilarious. But I don't know if they took it from science or whatever, right, right, but right. we we use that terminology somewhat too. That's the good stuff. Um, but in biology, it's much more like Two Sigma yeah. or something like that. Oh, my that. science is like 0.5 Sigma. Just like I had three Popeye's chicken that sandwiches. That is not very good. <laughs> and then I pooped. <laughs> that is not very good. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe um, it causes poop. But basically, uh, what that means is that in biology, a lot of stuff that we observe and will publish out there could be just due to chance and some quirks of biology and not actually be describing reality the ideal situation is that stuff gets published people try it out vet it it turns out it doesn't work yeah and then we scrap that paper we're like that's not real okay yeah um but unfortunately there's also fraudulent shit right, right. and that fraudulent shit really throws a wrench into a system that's already not working that great okay right right there's all kinds of stuff we're trying to do about it. Okay, so for example, nature now requires raw data. Mm. Okay, so they're like, give us all of your data. Right. And then we're going to make it available technically to the reviewers. Right. Although um, even that is like, well, yeah, kind of rough. Yes. So a secondary issue is that journals offload a lot of what I would consider to be their gatekeeping responsibilities to unpaid reviewers. Just to right. be clear, reviewers are not paid. Right. They're all volunteer. Right. So, like, you're expecting another professor, out of the goodness of their desire for science to be robust, right. to now dig through raw data looking for fraudulent it's like sometimes data. sometimes your husband's cheating on you. You know, sometimes <laughs> the kids you get to school, man, like, you got life happening. Yeah, and you're busy, and a lot of these scientists... Like, they're trying to run a lab. They're trying to get grants so that they can keep having a job. Right. right. It's a lot of unpaid assumptions on how they're going to spend their time. Right. So the issue that reviewers are uncompensated and yet expected to... Yeah, should do more work now. Yeah, do more work and find fraud and stuff like that. Yeah. That's an entire issue that someday someone's going to need to figure that yeah, shit out. Yeah, really what we should have is, like, government funding for, like, groups like Nature, Right. And they should be like, here's two billion bucks earmarked for reviewing. 
Yeah, I mean, so yes. Maybe, Although, maybe like, twenty billion. Nature Publishing Group is a private company. Probably and a trillion. It'd be good if, like, part of the idea of Nature is that papers that come out in it are supposed to be seminal, like, big-time papers. Right. So they're already performing a kind of gatekeeping function. Right. They're just not performing the useful kind, right. which is to get rid of fraudulent shit. Yeah, they're just doing, like, popularity contests. Yeah, so, like, your private company, use some of your fucking money to do this, right? right? Like, do a job. How much money do they make? Uh, Nature Publishing Group makes a lot of money because really? they, they have licensing agreements with, like, oh, libraries, uh, like, university library systems. What schmucks? Yeah, yeah, they make a lot of money. Damn. And they pay their editors and everything, and that's fine. But even when, like, <laughs> like when I submitted a paper to Nature Communications, which yeah. is a sub-journal of Nature, yeah. I had to reformat my paper myself. It's not even like their editors format it properly so right, it looks right, good. Right. I had to format it. Those fat cats are just taking the yeah, money. Kit. What the f are they like? What 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 are they a private business for? Right? Like I don't I don't even understand what the f***ing point of them is. So anyway, a lot of scientists are mad about Again, it. Um, Sean Bernie Sanders Allen over here. It's very frustrating because <laughs> there's also things called society journals. And they're nonprofit. Yeah, journals. like the Kiwanis Club. <laughs> <laughs> like like the the Journal of Immunology. We endorse Rick Caruso. <laughs> So, so society journals, maybe I understand a little bit. It's like, oh, you know, just trying to get through it, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're really kind of scraping by. Yeah. But private journals, go f*** yourself. Like, what, what is this? This yeah. is nonsense. Um, CSN, are they all three of those private journals? Cell uh, is um, science. I'm not sure that it's... I think it might actually be a society because it's aaas.org, the, no. like the American oh, I see. Uh, advancement it's dot of DARPA slash awesomescience.org <laughs> or something like there that. Yeah, that's cool. So I, I think uh, American Association for the Advancement of Science. Okay. I think that's who publishes science. That's cool. So maybe that's a nonprofit, but Nature Publishing Group sure as f*** isn't. So like, right. I, that's ridiculous. Crazy. And, I mean, oh God, I, I have so many things to bitch about with publishing, but like, let's. We should do a whole episode on that. Is that gonna get you in trouble though? No, I don't. I'm, I'm in industry now. We don't publish shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, look, high-profile cases like this drive mistrust in science, right? Which isn't good as a broad societal thing. But to be fair, science is going through its own crisis right. with internal mistrust of some of the science right. coming. It's out. almost worse. Within the scientific community, because, I mean, this is shit that they really need to settle. I mean, the fact right. that there is an anonymous tip website that then is routinely ignored by the magazines, I yeah. think, speaks speaks yeah. volumes. It's not good. It's not good. Yeah. And really, you know, like, even now, if you go to this 2006 paper, what will happen is you'll go to the webpage and you'll see a little note at the top where it's like, the editors have received some reports that maybe that something not good's going on. So yeah. just, like, don't draw too many strong conclusions from this paper. That's it's funny. like dudes right. this shit's like photoshopped right that's like the like, retraction from like that they'll put in newspapers like on page 22 yeah but this is like a light retraction right because like they can also put a note just being like hey this paper's bullshit yeah like just letting you know like right. well, we're gonna leave it up for like posterity's sake but like right. this is bullshit i guess they just don't want to be wrong i guess with a person that, that they consider to be important now like i mean so that's that's a whole other thing which right. is that uh Lene is like not that important right like, despite right. this paper I yeah. think, yeah, I think we, some nature of his fraudulence is so brazen yeah. that, like, he can't get a good position as a professor. Right. Within his institutions, it's actually kind of known. Yeah, he's still a non-tenured associate professor who presumably is not going to be there for much longer. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know how they would keep it's, him around. It's kind of interesting 
how yeah. an institution can internally be like, mm. yeah, exactly. I don't know about this guy, but also at the same time, like you said, you're getting that fat, fat grant money. This guy got an R01 grant, right? I believe so. Yeah, so you got some cool grant. The university gets some of that. They're like, well, let's keep bilking this cow because we're, you know, we make cheese up here yeah, in Minnesota. Yeah. Another thing that's fun is I looked it up. He has two patents with Karen Ash. Oh. And the way that patents work when you're a professor working at a university is that the university is the one that owns that patent yeah. and sort of like deals with if it's going to get licensed or anything like that. Yeah. And so both of those patents got filed with the U.S. Patent Office and then got approved. And then since then, both of those patents have been abandoned. Wow. Um, so they're like, they're not going to bother like kind of upholding those patents. So they're probably bullshit. I would. I Everyone would kind of realized <laughs> it. I mean, maybe. And was like, well, let's not. Maybe. I mean, like, because, you know, Karen Ash had a response on that Alzheimer's forum, which was like a little bit fair and a little bit highly defensive. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, I wonder how long she's been sitting on that comment right i don't know, I don't like know. how many years yeah. has it's been a, it's a good question to publish that yeah you know? yeah because now in a lot of her public commentary she's like yeah that paper should be retracted from nature right because she's built a whole career afterwards being like well i'm looking at these other things yeah and she had a career beforehand and she had a career after right right and uh yeah so for her she's like yeah we should retract that paper out of nature sure you know what i mean crazy anyway so, guys, that's a little bit of, like, how the sausage is made, except when it's naughty sausage that yeah, has, yeah. like, botulism in it. Yeah, 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 like the horse rat poop sausage. <laughs> yeah, so I hope you guys wow. enjoyed sort of that look into scientific misconduct yeah. and when yeah. things can kind of... Go uh, wrong. Yeah, circumvent or take advantage of a lot of the good faith that's built into the system. Right. Which a lot of times suggests that we were overly optimistic and naive in terms of how that system is set up. Yeah. That it really shouldn't be yeah. that good faithy. Although, right? let me say, um, I was defending uh, science to Andre. Thank you. And I was like, you know, with other systems of knowledge, yeah, um, right, like the, the what I referred to for Andre was the Bible, right? Is I was like, well, with the Bible, you can go to your publisher, the Pope, and be like, hey, man, I kind of think the sentence mistranslated. And he's like, well, let's execute you <laughs> and get executed even though for 2,000 years we've known it's all horseshit anyway. Sure. Yeah. Right? The whole fucking thing is horseshit. Yep. Right? And it took like 1,500 years to have a reformation, and that's horseshit too. Yep. Right? Whereas science, like, we had discussed this in a previous episode about genetics and eugenics. Yeah. And how it took like, sometimes in science it takes like an actual human generation to overturn shitty old assumptions because the people who do, in I mean, like, you know... Lewis and Clark. <laughs> Not Lewis and Clark. The the eugenics genetics guys, right? Yeah, like the yeah. big dick players in genetics. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously did important research in developing early genetics and also were like schmucks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, well, it kind of takes them dying yep. to like get rid of their shitty attitudes that don't have a basis in empirical fact. Yeah. That seems like a long time to us because science, we respect science and we think that it should be vetted by an empirical process and be reproducible. Yeah, and we're, um, we're humans and we live in a human time scale. We would prefer so. things to happen in our lifetimes. Right. But science is still working about 1,900 years faster than Christianity. Sure. You know what yeah, I mean? And that's yeah. pretty good. And, and in the case of this Linnae paper, that's like 17 or 18 years or whatever it is. Like 16? I don't know. I can't yeah, do math. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like 17 years. And like, that's really good. Yes, in the scheme of human history. Yeah. Um, of course, science, I think, aspires to be better as like a field. Yeah. Right? And so, at the end of the day, like, 
science as a discipline needs to take its lumps and like yeah. this was bad right this was bad science wants to be the next generation star trek it's really deep space nine uh but that still means it's trying as opposed to discovery <laughs> right man some people would put deep space nine above next generation i'm not saying in terms of quality i'm oh. saying in terms of their ethics right like tng is like everything's totally gonna be fine I got you. Yeah. and deep space nine is like sometimes shit's fucked up right and discovery's like everything good about the world's dead yep yep you know got it yes agreed so yeah you know yeah folks i mean i i, I don't know what to talk, but obviously i'm still a scientist so like, yeah yeah you haven't given up so like i know that science is real i'm still a blind zealot so I still believe in all of it. Um, but as someone who was inside the, the machine do, doing science, everybody who does science knows that this happens. that there are issues. Right. Maybe and, not that this happens, but like because of the problems of reproducibility, there are. I mean, to, to, to be clear, this is papers. this is not the first case of fraudulent data being out there. Right. That this is maybe the main one for Alzheimer's disease. Right. But this isn't the first time that someone has put out fraudulent work and has been caught. And presumably, there are other people with fraudulent work who have not been caught. Right. So, like, scientists know this. It's just, like, it's difficult for us to incorporate that into the day-to-day of how we do science because there's so much out there. We can't possibly vet it all on an individual level. Right. So we need more systemic change to make it so that there's a sustainable way to still do a lot of science, but also to have it vetted more properly. Right. And, yeah, we're, it's still a work in progress. We it's need not a Biden-style moonshot. Right? Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay, let's, okay. Say, let's <laughs> say thank you to Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you, Brian Griffin, for art miscellanea. What has Griffin done for us recently? What <laughs> done for us lately? Well, in his defense, we never released that video. Oh, right? that's true. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. I, mean, I don't know how to do us. it. How are we supposed to do it? Yeah, I don't have, like, a social media strategy. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm on TikTok, but I got, like, three followers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this will blow it up. Great. Um, you just, like, put feet? You need to have an OnlyFans, Sean. You mixed up your social media outfits. Oh, I'm not supposed to put the feet stuff on TikTok? You can. It's just you gotta, like, put it to music. Like, <laughs> Fuck! Like, Renaissance, Beyonce Renaissance. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's a good song. Just, like, feet on a horse. I like that. Or maybe some Harry Styles. Oh. He could talk about the watermelon the sugar in between sugar. my toes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. Harry Styles would suck it right off your toe. I believe that. Yeah. I saw the As It Was music video. Yeah. That dude's licking toes. I could see you guys together, and that's not me being facetious. Oh. Like, I could see you dating Harry That's Styles. actually very complimentary. Yeah, I'll take that. Uh, okay. What do we do? Yeah. So we Goodbye. say things like... <laughs> uh, we have a Twitter account at Dish Podcast. We have a Gmail account, PetriDishPod at gmail.com. We have a Patreon, Patreon.com slash PetriDish. Mm. And then, yeah. We gotta get out of here. I'm so sweaty right now. See it's so guys, hot. Yeah, we gotta turn the AC on. Yep. It's Alhambra. It's like 120 degrees. We're in Portugal right now, guys. It's Swelter. I can't believe we did like a long episode on this. I thought this was going to be a very short episode. We um, were on topic the whole way through. Well, thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.